This is Brand and New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. I am Audrey Dove. Welcome to Brand and New. The use of cannabis for recreational purposes became legal across Canada a year ago on October 17, 2018. This country became the first major world economy to legalize it starting a national experiment representing a major cultural, social, public policy and legal challenge for this nation. The comparison with the US neighbor is often made. To date, use, sale and possession of cannabis is illegal under US federal law, despite its legalization by more than 10 states for recreational use. Our guest today is Isabelle Jonf, intellectual property lawyer and trademark agent for more than 25 years, partner at the law firm Lavery in Montreal, Canada. She will explain the impact of such legalization on trademark law and the so-called cannabis trademarks. Isabelle will talk about the 2018 Cannabis Act, as well as the amendments made to the Canadian Trademarks Act entered into force on June 17, 2019. How are they implemented and what are the restrictions? What are the legal and regulatory challenges associated with the development of global brand strategies? It's definitely a hot topic of debate in Canada and beyond. Isabelle, could you tell us first the main changes introduced recently into Canadian trademark law? Have you already noticed the effect of these amendments in your day-to-day practice and to what extent? Yes, there has been indeed a number of changes that have come into force uh, in Canada last June. After years of discussions, Canada has finally adopted the Madrid Protocol, the Nice Agreement, and the Singapore Treaty. These changes have opened the door to international applications, and they simplify the registration process. Uh, They harmonize the Canadian system with the international community. Another important change is the uh, abolition of declaration of use. The good side of this change is that uh, it makes registration process much faster. There is, however, a clear downside to the new system since we will no longer be able to easily determine through public records if a trademark is in use in Canada and since when. Being a common law country, this information is crucial to determine trademark rights. So for the IP profession and for brand owners, Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that the declaration of use has been abolished, but we'll have to deal with it. So as a result of this abolition, it will be much more difficult to determine who has prior rights on a trademark in Canada. And it will certainly uh, create legal uh, uncertainty for brand owners. So uh, we expect more opposition, more litigation, which could have been avoided if the government had decided to keep the declaration of use. It will be interesting to see how the practice evolves uh, for trademark clearance, opposition and litigation, uh, whether in the cannabis field or any field actually. And one thing that is interesting to note is massive trademark trolls. We uh, did not anticipate that. What happened is that in 2017 and 2018, we saw more than 500 filings in 45 classes. Trademark trolls were known. Uh, We had seen a couple of cases here and there in the past, but nothing to this extent. Obviously, uh, some people saw an opportunity to get registration in 45 classes, taking advantage of the old and new system. That is, in one hand, paying only one filing fee, 
and on the other end, taking advantage of the new regime without the declaration of use. Uh, but luckily, um, many applications have since then been abandoned. And in addition, the government has reacted quickly to prevent uh, this new trend and adopted the new ground of opposition based on bad faith, which will allow us to challenge these trademark applications. And the second impact that we have noticed since June 17 is that brand owners are definitely taking advantage of the Madrid system. The downside though is that it has created quite an increase at the examination level. So I would say be patient for examination in Canada. The legal paths taken by Canada and the US related to cannabis trademarks are very different. Are there cultural, political, social, economic reasons or maybe a mix of all of them? This is a quite a complex and sensitive uh, question uh, with many pros and cons, so it's hard to tell. My guess actually uh, would be the political background. Uh, some would say that Canada may be a bit more liberal than the US, but it seems to me personally as too easy of an answer. Uh, it created a lot of press and debates. As a matter of background, legalization of the recreational cannabis was a an election promise of our Prime Minister Trudeau. And the rationale behind this was to keep profits out of the hands of criminals. Uh, it was also to keep cannabis away from youth and also public health. And to translate that into a trademark language, I would say ensuring quality control of the product because what has been uh, on the market was of very poor quality. And so that was the promise made by Justin Trudeau. And since he won the 2015 election with a clear majority, he was in a good position to keep his promise and he moved on with the legislation. If I am to offer my view on the difference between US and Canada and why is that, I would say that uh, legalization is in great part due to a political momentum, uh, but also a social climate with a twist of economic reason because at the end of the day, it's the government who's selling uh, the weed. Uh, besides U.S., is, we see that U.S. is slowly moving towards legalization in a few states, but uh, I guess that it will take uh, more time for it to be all across the board, but, and it may never happen. We don't know. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. Parallel to trademark law issues, cannabis companies have to comply with strict marketing regulations applying to advertising, packaging, and labeling. These rules, laid out in the Cannabis Act, contain usual provisions such as a ban on false and misleading advertising, a prohibition on advertising appealing to children, and so on. It also provides for some broad prohibition of any glamorous or fun promotion. In this context, how can brands develop brand awareness and loyalty strategies while limiting any legal risks? And have you witnessed, as a lawyer, more aggressive and legally challengeable ads emerging yet or, or more creative strategies playing on the edge of the law? That's a very interesting question. Definitely, the restrictions for cannabis are very strict. In fact, they are among the most, uh, if not the most severe regulations on marketing and branding in Canada as we speak. And you are right, some provisions are very broad. So in this context, how to develop brand awareness and limit the legal risk 
you have to stay away from any promotion appealing to young people. How do you do that? Normally, uh, if we talk about uh, online promotion, it would be with age-gating websites and warning. So anything that is appealing to young people, it's a big no-no. Another clear restriction in the act is uh, any testimonial, endorsement, depiction of person, characters, and animals. That has to be avoided as well as sponsorship. And as you mentioned, then you have to be careful about any promotion where you create a connection with cannabis and what we call the lifestyle prohibition. To keep a distance with this prohibition, which is quite broad, we see uh, companies taking the approach of posting inspirational quotes and tips uh, for inner motivation in life, uh, stuff like that, which is not glamorous in itself or so exciting in itself. It hasn't been tested yet in front of the courts. But apart from that, you have some exceptions which uh, the cannabis industry can use to promote their products and brand. So basically, there are four options, I would say. The first one is the uh, brand preference promotion. For a cannabis uh, company, you can promote the brand. You cannot promote the cannabis in itself, but there's nothing preventing you to promote the brand. The second option is what we call the informational promotion. That is uh, promoting information about the company, the founders, operations of the company, cannabis in general, but again, without promoting the use and sale of cannabis. We see quite a few on the web where companies post videos of employees talking about their company and their work. So it's an, I would say it's an indirect way of promoting uh, your business, your product. This is clearly an option for any cannabis uh, company. But one thing to bear in mind though, for those two exceptions, you still have to make sure that you're not targeting young people. You have to make sure that any communication that you make is addressed and sent to an individual who is more than 18 years old. What the act is targeting is uh, some ads in magazines or some emails. Your promotion must be placed in physical location where young people are not allowed by law, which means essentially that the only place where you can put ads is in clubs and bars where at the door you'll be asked for IDs. So that's quite restrictive. It would, for instance, exclude uh, music festivals, concerts, and pop-up venues, which may be intended for adults. But if you don't have a gate asking for ID, that wouldn't be uh, acceptable. And as far as online promotion is allowed, the access that you have to make sure that reasonable steps are taken to prevent access uh, by young people. So it's obviously manageable with websites where you can, you know, you have that in the alcoholic industry, for instance, where uh, you will be asked for your age and your country of origin, but not that easy with social media. So that will be a challenge for companies, I would say. So talking about the third option, which is available for cannabis companies, we have the distribution of branded goods, which is allowed. Uh, of course, we're not talking about branded cannabis and cannabis accessory here. We're talking about goodies, such as t-shirts, hats, etc., which can bear the brand of the cannabis uh, company. 
but you have to make sure again that it's not appealing to young people and it, it's not associated with the lifestyle type of uh, promotion. And finally, the, the, the fourth option allowing you to uh, try to build brand awareness is packaging. Although it's very restricted and you cannot uh, do whatever you want with your brand on a packaging, it, um, you still have room. It's not that much, but you can place your brand on the packaging. As you can imagine, the industry is struggling with these uh, limitations and uncertainties. Just before the coming into force of uh, the law, that was about one year ago, we saw a number of bold examples uh, by cannabis uh, companies testing the system. So we saw advertisement in music festival, in pop-up events, ads on taxi cars and billboards. Since the coming into force of the act, we don't see much of these daring ads anymore. Actually, it was reported in the news that uh, Health Canada, who's uh, responsible for managing these ads, have sent warnings to a number of companies. So that might be the reason why we don't we don't see that kind of daring ads anymore. I've, uh, I've heard of one case involving the uh, New Brunswick government, which is selling cannabis online. The government was using images on, his, on their website of people having fun and taking selfie. They have received a warning from Health Canada and shortly after they changed their website. And just a, a final comment on that. In March 2019, uh, Health Canada has sent a letter to uh, license holders allowed to uh, produce cannabis in Canada. So the message was, we see a lot of stuff going on online now, uh, but be aware because uh, some of the practices that we see, uh, we don't consider them compliant with the law. So uh, they gave some insight. One that really surprised me is they, they have a concern with product names. So if you have a brand that could be considered appealing to young people, Health Canada may have a problem with that. We're not talking ab about the marketing strategy here and the images and the messages. We're talking about the brand. So if you have a cool name, how will it be interpreted? It looks as if Health Canada may not like it. I wouldn't be surprised that that would be challenged in court, to tell you the truth, because I think they're going too far. So that will be interesting to follow. Interestingly, the Cannabis Act also prohibits the promotion of cannabis brands using foreign media. In practice, it means that Canadian cannabis companies cannot advertise their products using foreign TV channels, papers or websites. And concomitantly, the marketing regulations applicable to cannabis products and services in Canada are way more stringent than most laws applicable in the states of the United States where weed has been legalized. This obviously makes it very challenging for Canadian companies to enter the U.S. market. Will it still be possible for Canadian companies to enter and conquer market abroad? Actually, promotion in foreign media is, is allowed, provided that it complies with the Canadian regulations. So my take on that is that the government wanted to make sure that you don't have to excuse of having placed a, an ad in a foreign publication which reaches uh, Canadian uh, territory. So they don't want to manage that and, 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 and they want to make sure that the burden is on the Canadian company that if any advertisement reaches Canada, it's your duty to make sure that it complies with, uh, with the regulations. So. Canadian companies will be able to compete in the U.S. 
if they do some advertisement which is geographically targeted in the states, for instance, and only to that states, that's possible. Of course, it makes it more difficult. It means that uh, you cannot go broad on some advertising campaign. If you want to uh, conquer the U.S. market, uh, you'll have to design specific campaign for that territory. So it's unfortunate. It's a it's an additional burden, but this is the game that uh, that the government has decided to play. Isabelle, as we mentioned before. One of the amendments to the Canadian Trademark Act enables trademark holders to get their trademark registered in 120 countries through the mechanism provided for by the Madrid Protocol. However, beyond clearing third parties' rights, companies will also have to assess local regulatory bans or restrictions in each target jurisdiction. What are for you the challenges associated with developing a global brand strategy when local markets are still very fragmented from a regulatory perspective? And are these challenges similar to those faced by brand owners operating in other very regulated industries such as alcohol or tobacco? Or are some of them unique to cannabis? Of course, being in a regulated industry necessarily brings a number of challenges and constraints. Clothing companies, for instance, have much less to worry about when they develop their brand and marketing strategy uh, compared to companies dealing with pharmaceutical, tobacco, alcoholic products, and now cannabis in Canada. As you mentioned, apart from trademark clearing process, I would say that the biggest challenges when local markets are fragmented is, first of all, to reconcile all the different regulations and make sense out of it, and then create a single promotional strategy. I think that's where the biggest challenge is. Some countries are significantly uh, more strict than others. So I guess the question becomes, do I want to go for a unique and global marketing strategy based on the most strict regulations? Or do I go country by country or key market by key markets um, to take full advantage of the local regulations? As we see uh, when we compare here between Canada and US, where US is, is much more permissive. If you go with a global strategy, you may end up with a, a campaign that will be less daring, less edgy, and potentially less attractive to some audiences. And as a result, you uh, may end up uh, losing some market share, of course. So I would say that if you want to get your piece of the pie, uh, you better take full advantage of what regulations uh, allow you to do. So I guess there is a, a global business assessment that you have to make on top of legal issues. Actually, as you've mentioned, the cannabis uh, is highly regulated, much more than the tobacco industry. And, and what's interesting in Canada, we've seen the Tobacco Act being challenged up to the Supreme Court on the basis of violation of freedom of speech, because there was a lot of restriction on uh, how to promote tobacco and the lifestyle uh, prohibition. So my prediction is that this act will be challenged in court. It may very well end up at the Supreme Court, because I think that the government wanting to protect uh, public safety and young people may have gone a bit too far. So the, I, I understand the intent. Uh, we have to be careful because This is a substance that has some potential danger for the health. But then again, you have to respect the freedom of expression and it goes as far as the commercial uh, freedom of expression. And finally, I would say stay tuned because we will soon see a new regulation 
allowing cannabis for edibles, beverages, and topicals. So the cannabis market is opening even more, so uh, more challenges and more interesting advertising campaign to, to follow and branding strategy. So it will be exciting to see that. And now, Isabelle, I have a few rapid-fire questions. Whose brain would you like to have had? Hmm, that's, that's a tough one. Uh, there are so many great minds. Okay, you're going to laugh at my answer, but uh, here it is. I would actually stick with mine, not because it's so great, but simply because I finally figured out how it works. So I wouldn't want to change for anybody else's brain. Where do you take your inspiration from? Oh, that one is easy. I would say from healthy people. Well, actually healthy, balanced and genuine people. One guy inspires me a lot. Uh, when I walk to the office every morning on the street, I see this guy who manages traffic and he stands there day after day under the rain, the snow, but always with a big smile saying hello, have a good day. So people uh, that are balanced, healthy and smiley, I love that and that inspires me. And the last book you read, maybe? Actually, it's a book that I read in preparation for my next semi-marathon. The title in French is Courir à son rythme, so in English it would translate to running at your pace. And I have a last question. What would you have liked to invent or create? Actually, I would say something that doesn't exist yet. Uh, it would be a way to connect lonely people and to create real human connections and friendship. Nothing to do with social media. Um, so something real. So I, I see a lot of lonely people, especially older people, and that makes me sad. So that's what I would like to create. Thank you very much, Isabelle. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Audrey. My guest today was Isabelle Jonf, partner at the Canadian law firm Lavery. Thank you for listening to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover Brand and New. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org.